Jonathan. We are just winging it, folks. Happy Friday, John. Happy Friday and happy birthday. Thank you very much. I said it to you yesterday when we, um, well, today's when we're recording and, you know, of course you won't hear this live because we don't yet have a live studio audience, but maybe that's coming soon. I bet it's coming soon. It'd be nice for moments like this because then everyone could just belt out a happy birthday for you. That's true. And they'd be clapping and like standing like the ending of Rudy, like doing the slow clap in the football right. stadium. You'd crowd, you'd ride the wave of the I crowd. I would crowd surf, you know, because be a problem because we're trying to record a podcast. So calm down, people. But yes. yeah, they're fucking the audio up. No, I I made it made it to 37, which is pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> legitimately old sounding when I say it out loud. 37, made it to 37 years as old. If- were you expecting not to? You know, it's not that I was expecting not to, but I wouldn't have been like shocked. You know, <laughs> I feel, feel like we're under on Patrick living to thirty-seven. You know that there was it was questionable. The odds are not great. No, no, it's just it's been you know there's there's just so much that's happened since turning you know thirty in my life. Right? It's been oh such my God. a roller I mean, coaster of a seven-year period. Yeah, even obviously the last few. Um, yeah, man, do I feel like we've aged so much more. Over these, I think that I've heard many, you know, adults, especially parents, say this. But you know, these last couple of years in particular, I feel like we've just aged so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I just really, feel I'm really feeling it. Older, you know. Me too. I will tell you one aspect of life where I'm not feeling older, though, John, is boxing, which, as you know, uh, I've gotten very into over the last couple of weeks. I'm so excited to talk more about this, which we, you know, I want to do off the show too because we have way more to talk about than anyone would be interested in hearing. But the fact that you sent me a, a photo of this new boxing bag, which is a legitimate, let's let's be honest here, this is a uh it's a design as far as i understand it because i'm no expert obviously it's like a teardrop shape you know heavy bag that is meant for i mean you can use it for all punching but it is especially good for uppercuts right it is good for uppercuts and body shots uh but also for muay thai and kicking and things and you know it's it's not like a traditional heavy bag it does have that kind of pear shape that you're talking about right but um if if kind of you know fits the space in our gym pretty well in the basement, and I got a uh, like a you know armature for it, so it's got a speed bag attachment, which I haven't rather than attaching done yet, it to but... your structure. Your, you know, <laughs> I was prob- thinking I was like a safer bet. You had to like get a fucking structural engineer consulting firm to come into your house to redo the <laughs> no, basement no, I just around this thing. Became a structural. I actually went to school and became a structural. Oh, you did. Engineer you got your degree. In order, in- oh wow. Um, just for this, you know, in order to hang this, which uh, very which impressive. Which has been helpful now with you know all the amps around my house too, because that that's been you know an issue if there are too many the the weight of the floor in one spot gets to be problematic but the house is going to sink into the earth <laughs> is what you're trying to say the words i'm using clearly belie the fact that i have my structural engineering degree that's true I just said, you could tell you've done the it'll research weigh the floor down or what did i i didn't even say that i said something <laughs> so dumb um but anyway you sound like a professional is what i I'm, sound like a I'm professional hearing. yeah yeah no, i mean hey been, folks we're great. all just winging it we're all just winging it. We're all just winging it and just punching shit. It has been, uh, it's been really, really fun. And Micah and I are doing almost all of the workouts together, which is great. That's awesome. Just sort of alternating, you know. So we go like, you know, we each do a combo one at a time, and we'll do like a, you know, a YouTube series on you, it. You, you have to get mitts if you're doing this together. Get a pair of mitts because that has been so much fun. I occasionally Bethany will do it with me too, and um, I we could talk more about how to do it safely and all that. But like, 
You see me do this. Oh, for punching. Like, oh, you mean holding up like the for oh, the, yes, for yes. the punching. Oh, yes, yes. One person oh, yeah. holds the... Oh, man, it's so satisfying. Mm. I mean, the bag is too because you're actually obviously not holding your punches, whereas I would hope with Micah you would. I would hope <laughs> right. she would not on you, you know, but... Oh, she would not. Um, she actually, she has not been, which has been a bit of a problem. <laughs> she's been hitting it as hard as she possibly can and she's like, God, my hands hurt. My shoulders... I'm like, it, it definitely, I don't think you're supposed to go that hard yet. You it's know? true, but you, you actually like harden up your hands, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's something about just doing it because now... Now, I don't really feel it as much because, you know, they're metal now. Um, Made out of steel. Do you, do you And you use tape, right? <laughs> I do. Well, it's not tape. It's the it's the wraps, right? Right, so, the wrap, yeah. And we it can talk like about that. The There's most... like a very specific, you know, method. Of course, you can YouTube all this, but. It's so complicated, though, like to, to do it the step by step. I mean, because there's like 500 feet of it, for one thing. I just I feel love like I spent that, 20 right? minutes doing that. Like stuff like that. I just love how. There's this whole world beneath any kind of hobby or sport or whatever oh, yeah. it is, art, that is hidden to us, right? We just never even would consider it. It's just like, yeah, you just get a punching bag, right? Um, but to know what goes into it, I just love that about, you know, learning any new thing, really. I mean, obviously, guitar has been the thing that's just gone. I've gone almost insane in terms of studying, you know, what goes into shaping a tone. But I mean, yeah. I just find it so rewarding to, to have a world sort of revealed to you in that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, your house is literally sinking into the earth because of the amount of amplifiers you have at this point. <laughs> but no, as we'll talk right. about in the later portion regarding the book, you know, what does it matter anyway? I mean, we're just a blip. Yeah, we're, the time is just blowing by us. No, it, it, has, it has been so much fun and really cathartic. And uh, and I could tell it was cathartic when, when I was like crying while I was punching it <laughs> and like pushing it over sideways. And Micah was like, wow, you're really getting into this. And I'm like, so, I know. Are you, you know. do you, do you visualize the bag or imagine in any way that it is oh, you know, a certain person or uh, you're in a certain situation? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's usually you, John. Yeah, just, I was going to say, if you, you want to yeah. share, I mean, that would, you know, I'm sure we did appreciate hearing that. Well, there's, you know, a war in Europe going on, so that's been an easy target. Ugh, but also man. just, you know, anxiety and th like literally yeah. visu visualizing things that I've been dealing with mentally that I it's, haven't really had an outlet for, you know? Oh, it's such a great outlet. And I, yeah. and I find that the, your heart rate, I mean, it goes, it's skyrockets. crazy. Right? Mine was at so. 182 during yeah. the workout yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Which is not, when I'm running, it gets like 173 and that's about it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so fast. You can fast. literally see your heart pounding out of your yeah, chest. I mean, I think it's a good thing. I don't, you know, I don't know enough about. We should have. Uh, we are going to have Joey back on, so we can have him confirm that that's that's okay. But. That's true. And and you know, if there's one sport known for its longevity, it's boxing. I think you know people have Just very punching, long careers, very healthy, live. Oh yeah. Lives. No issue, completely safe. Yeah, very safe. Uh, no, but it's it's been it's been great, and and I, I'm excited to talk about it more technically with you. I have I have some favorite combos. I got to say, for me so far, the most uh, enjoyable one has been five, which is a right uppercut. Five. I don't know, right uppercut, left hook. I've never heard numbers. Cross. I don't know what the numbers are. You're oh, you don't do the numbers. So no. there's one, one is the hook, but I mean, oh, one is a jab, okay. right? Two is a right cross. Three is a hook, left hook. Oh, yeah. four, I think is right uppercut. So it's a four, one, okay. two. So you do now, the right Now are the numbers, I imagine the, the numbers cross. are like commonly established in that world as opposed to just like a particular method you're learning or whatever. But yeah, I, th I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty standard. I, um, I, and, and I totally believe that because, you know, having, having just the quick way of saying these things, shouting them makes it easier, obviously, when you're doing a routine. But we always just numbers, did. Yeah. We, it was always just one word, you know, cross, jab, uppercut, whatever. I guess uppercut right. is a few syllables, but. And then just kill, um, kill, 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 kill. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, been, that's been awesome. Hi, what have you been up to last couple Well, weeks? let's see. Speaking of rage, um, I wanted to share uh, just a, a moment 
um, with with Grace that was interesting um, the other day where, you know, she's really, unlike Luke, who I talked about last um, episode, is like peak, you know, meltdown-y, defiant age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Grace has actually, like, you know, she no longer um, hits, right? We Notoriously, if I said something that she didn't like, she'd just come over and hit me. Right. Um, right. And that, that has stopped, which has been nice. Um, I feel, you know, less bruises on my body. Um, but she did have, you know, the kids after school, it's a long day, right? They also stay after, Grace stays after school. And, and so she was just having one of those nights where I, as soon as I told her what we're having for dinner, she just fucking lost it. She didn't want that. Right. Can I ask what uh, it was? Uh, it was right. It was not a great dinner to be honest. It was. Let's hear it. Let's let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It was rice with, uh, which I do make a mean rice with the instant pot, I should say. And the kids love it. It's rice. You know, rice is always good. Spinach is always good. And that was it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) and then it was going to be sausage and peppers, you know, just like a A classic. Yeah. 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 Basic. Right. I just made that last Um, week. Yeah. But she, she lost it and you know, it was just, it's always so stressful trying to make the dinner and, and do all the things right after school. You're, you're still mentally shifting from work and you've got no commute anymore. Right. So you're just like going right to one thing from the next. So, yeah, it's abrupt. So it was, it was stressful and Bethany took her into her room so they could have a, a chat and just sort of help her calm down. Um, and, and that seemed to succeed. I was, you know, I didn't hear her screaming anymore, so that was good. good. So she was either, you know, Bethany either suffocated her or, um, managed to calm her down it's hard to know hard um, to know. she it, it is but i can report that she's still living. she survived she's still with Good. us yes I'm so glad to hear that so so bethany later on told me when she could tell me without grace overhearing um that she had a conversation with grace about you know next time you're really mad sometimes it helps to just have a word that you can scream right Fuck! scream it as loud as you want and and just have that to go to and so she said you know what word do you think you would use well, what word do you think, based on what you know about Grace, what word do you think she shared? Um, Moana. <laughs> I love that idea, you know, Moana! <laughs> um, and she, to be fair, she does hate Moana now. Um, she does. Because she goes from either loving to, to hating. Those are the only yeah, two options. Yeah, the extremes. She only, she only has one thing at a time, which now is still in Kanto, so that's okay, another thing. That's, that's but the happened. movie, she everything else gets rated against Ratatouille as the absolute worst movie that she's seen um you know like anything in life now she'll say like to me she'll say you're worse than ratatouille really Um, that's become the low bar so that's the low bar but anyway the word that she chose was fuck so you actually you called (laughs) it immediately which is entirely entirely predictable if you're like you know just think not really thinking about it or whatever but for me with a six-year-old who (laughs) you know i don't i mean i certainly yell fuck if something like i can't even help it involuntarily if i you know hit stub my toe or whatever um but it's it's usually not very loud like I i don't actually think the kids have overheard us saying that very much so i was like i died laughing because i just thought it was so funny that like i've never heard her use the word or even necessarily know what it is but the fact that she immediately it was fuck and it's was precise like, like that is the environment fuck yeah. was invented for there was right? a part of me that was a little proud you yeah, know what i mean i'm her. like yeah that is the word you use but <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you know i didn't i don't even know how bethany followed up with that but um she suffocated her i think it yes <laughs> 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 to her just screaming fuck um, <laughs> wow that, that got real dark that did um, get dark that's okay that's where we go i guess that's my long way of saying that um grace is really growing up she's she's like she's a first grader yeah she is growing up <laughs> and i gotta say swear words in our house i don't know when it happened but it passed a, t- a tipping point a while ago 
because the kids laugh so much when I swear. Like if I yeah. if I drop like a you know a well placed f bomb and something like they yeah. think it's the funniest thing ever. So it's you probably do like, shout it in a comical way as well. To be fair, well, and it's not even shouting. It's it's more like like Henry will like you ask me like very farted. sweet. I do. I fart it. You'll ask me a question and I'll be like. I don't fucking know. And then he'll like absolutely lose his mind. <laughs> so it's become this thing where like grownups have earned the right to I be able to that. say it. I and, love like, that. In our household, it is like, it's a safe thing inside our house. It is not yeah, safe yeah. outside of it. And yeah. so far, it and seems they get like that? They, they get it. Yeah, I think they get yeah. it. Yeah. Because awesome. they, they, they get it because that reaction that they do shows that like they realize that it's kind yeah. of an extreme thing. You know what I mean? Of so course. It's become, of course. it's become kind of funny, actually. Yeah. So that's that's the grace update. Luke, on the other hand, continuing with that defiance. The other day, you know, we're the doing tyrant. our morning our morning thing, and it's stressful for everybody and all. And and I went over to remind him that he has to pee before going to um, daycare. You know, obviously every morning we <laughs> have to instruct them to pee and brush their teeth. Those are the two. To things. To be fair, you you also text me before work every day and remind me that I have to do that. So that's I appreciate true. that. Yeah. I do. You got to release. You know, you got to uh, relieve your bladder there. It's, it's important to pee before you start. You could do some damage. So, so I, I reminded him and he said he didn't have to. And I was like, why don't you? Did you already? And he's like, you're not going to like what I have to tell you. Mm. Like, and he does this now, right? Where you can immediately see the like shame and the like, you're not going to like this. And then he said, like, you know, you're going to yell. And I said, I'm not. I won't yell. I won't get upset. I just want you to tell me, you know, what what you did. And he just like, you know, with his tail between his legs, he goes, I peed in the trash. In the trash, and, and he has this little, you know, the, one of these little trash barrels that is in their room, um, for like dirty pull-ups or whatever trash, you know, tissues, whatever, um, which is what was in there, okay. And so I, you know, I, I couldn't like shout or anything, and I didn't, um, and I was like, okay, and tell me that you're never gonna do that again. And he did, and he's like, yes, yeah. so he like he totally understood, and it was fine, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, I go over to the thing and there's like, you know, two dirty pull-ups and a bunch of tissues and stuff and just pee. It's just swimming in pee. And I'm like, what the fuck? Was there a I liner mean, in it at least? No, there was nothing, there was, which oh, we, we so really gross. should. I know. We should. Yeah. That's because we don't really use those ones for much trash. You know, it's not like right. food is going in it. Right. Um, well, but of well, course now there's going pee yeah. going in it. So I had to add that to my morning routine. But it just speaks to the like wild degree of curiosity that's running i know it is that right it's just like oh what would it be like if i just you know i'm sure he took off his pull-up and he's like i have to pee i don't want to go to the potty could i just pee in this trash (laughs) what could happen fucking idiot but but i mean that's the age that they're at you know and then a couple days later he peed in the in the bathroom and we were like what happened and he's like there was a piece of mulch on the floor and i wanted to pee on it (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm I'm glad that we at least have one smart child. And He's conducting legitimate science experiments here. He's like, you know, testing hypotheses yeah. with this. I'm holding out that music will be his his thing, you know, career. Yeah. Um, and he won't need to use his brain for, you know, <laughs> other things. But we'll see. <laughs> uh, I'm just picturing when, when, when he was like, you're going to yell at me. And you're like, I'm not going to yell. And then he tells you, just grace down the hallway going, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I Your sister it. might yell, oh, but man. I'm not going to yell. The other thing that before we jump back to the book and our sort of part two conversation, I'm curious to hear uh, how it's gone for you. I think we're both in this situation now where masks are not required, which is just 
just this week for us that it started. Um, so how's that gone for you, for your household? Are the kids like, it's been like the biggest, the biggest non-event ever. And I'm (laughs) so, I'm continually surprised by that. It's been like three weeks now. Yeah. And there was barely a conversation beforehand. We're like, there's masks in your backpack. If you feel uncomfortable or if it feels like most other kids have them, you can put them on, but you know, you can do what you want. And they have like, not even, they're like, oh, it's great. We don't have masks on anymore. Like that's, that's the extent <laughs> of the adjustment that they've gone through. That's so funny. Which has been, which has been really nice. And also they've, you know, had play dates since then, which have been more relaxed because we haven't had to go through the whole, you know, what's your comfort level conversation. And uh, it has just the, the, the nature of this has really taken a turn since that for us because yeah. for one thing, you know, COVID was in our household. So that kind of took the wind out of its sails for us. True, true. But also, uh, you know, the mask mandate dropping and the kids, if, we don't even have to be concerned because both of our kids are vaccinated. And also well, yeah, they, they had it. So, I mean, what they do you already mean? had it. Yeah, so there's yeah. 90 days at least of, you know, immune, right. of, uh, of their immune support for it. Mm-hmm. So it feels like, uh, I don't know, it feels great. It feels really good. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's been really, it's, it feels nice to to make it to this point again where we feel the relative safety, you know. I mean, and actually it's more than um, we would have even had last summer, be, I feel, because so many people now have had COVID and Omicron sort of um, has weakened it overall, as we talked about. So so I'm feeling good. And, and, you know, with Grace, I really wanted her to just sort of either, I told her she could either wear her mask and then decide when she's at school to take it off, or she could just start the day without it and, and have it there if she wants to put it on. Um, and so I think the first day, um, she didn't wear it. And then she ended up putting it on because some of her friends, she did some of her friends like really wanted her to. So then Mm. we had a conversation about like, you know, they, they might have certain situations where they have like a immunocompromised, either they are or someone in their family or, you know, they have their reasons, but like, this is your decision. It's your body. Um, and it's tricky, right? Because there's an element of it that I appreciate in her that she's thoughtful to think like, oh, they're worried about it. And if I'm like going to be sitting with them all day, you know, should I wear a mask? So I appreciate that. However, again, you know, I've been really encouraging her to do what she feels is right for her. And so, so the rest of the week, she's really, you know, she's worn it like very rarely, she said, when she sits next to a particular um, you know, a friend of hers, sometimes she'll wear it, but overall she hasn't been, and she really, you know, she likes it, not wearing it. So that's been, you know, neat to just be there as a parent to try to, um, support your child to make their decision, right? To not, obviously we're not mandating it in any way, one way or the other. Um, so yeah, I mean, it feels good. And, and she and I went to a, uh, the, the city had a coding event. It was like a elementary school thing for, you know, to, for where at the high school where, High school kids um, had little exercises with with younger kids to teach them about coding. And it was the first, like, you know, big thing that I've gone to where I didn't wear a mask. Um, and Grace as well. Wow, and there it was indoors. So you, didn't, you didn't have a mask on for the Wow. It was indoors. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do Like, we have to sort of make the transition at some point. And, you know, wherever that line is for people, I totally respect. But, like, I, I'm feeling like I just wanted to experience it and... Um, just sort of, you know, take the, take the plunge. <laughs> yeah. And how did, did you feel, what, what was your anxiety it like? Felt, was it pretty good? It felt, it felt a little weird, but it, I, I honestly, it felt great. Like I, yeah. I just being at the, it, there's so much wrapped up in it. Right. Cause it's not just the like, okay, I don't have to wear a mask, which by the way, you know, when you wear glasses, especially it's fucking annoying, right? You, you know, the fogging of glasses and all that. It's not just that though. It's the, what it represents, right? The idea that we can now, um, be at this point where, we don't have to wear it. 
is it's meaningful. And so, you know, I'm trying to celebrate that and, and hopefully not get COVID. <laughs> but even, but if you do, hey, it's probably going to be it. totally fine. You know, exactly. honestly, what my brother-in-law exactly. was over last weekend, actually, so a couple things. So my, you know, my wife's family came last weekend yeah. to hang out. And, uh, and for one thing, so my mother-in-law is very into boxing and kickboxing and has taken a lot of classes. So she's really excited That's that we right. have all this yeah. equipment now. And she showed the boys all three of the first Rocky movies. And so the boys, we're actually tonight doing a boxing class together with Amazing. the kids. So it's become like a big thing. So that was very fun. But yeah. also last weekend, you know, my brother-in-law was over and we were working on our Jeeps together out, you know, in the driveway all weekend. It was a really good time. And of when you, if you've ever done work on, uh, you know, any car related things, you quickly Never. realize that, well, there's always like metric measurement systems and, you know, imperial measurement systems for yeah. sockets and for wrenches of and for course, hardware. Yeah. You know, and for some fucking reason, every single manufacturer makes things that use both systems. I'm like, you can't it's, standardize this it's somewhere. Wild. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, the thing that drives me crazy too is that they're so close, but not exactly the same. Right. And they're so close enough that you'll one. strip it. So exactly. it's like essentially the same thing, yeah, but it's exactly. so close that it will break it. So you yeah, have exactly. to get, right? So we, uh, we kept going through this project and, and being like, oh my God, we need a fucking, you know, five eighths attachment with a half inch ratchet drive that, you know, won't fit this 13 millimeter thing. So we had to keep going back and forth to our hardware store. And eventually I just realized I don't, I didn't have my mask with me and because we were taking, you know, alternating which Jeep, depending on who was working on it. Yeah. And uh, and we took his and I didn't have a mask. And I was like, I guess this is it. I guess this is the first time I go into a store of like just without yeah. a mask. And it was, again, so non-eventful for me. I wasn't, I, I was, I was, you know, preparing myself to be cowed by that experience, but it was so yeah. normal. And it really, again, was just another one of these, sort of deep breath moments of I feel like things are just moving in the right direction and I just am no longer you know a, a big part of dealing with fear and anxiety is accepting that you can still live your life even if you're afraid or even if you're anxious yeah. like you're still alive you can still just go about your life and eventually that stuff will hopefully subside somewhat and I think we're all kind of experiencing that now with COVID where we, we're going to have some things we're uncomfortable about but we're going to live through them and find a sense of normalcy again. And I think we're really at that point now and it feels great. I think that's spot on. And, and maybe that's, you know, some of the resilience that we all have sort of built up over the course of this, certainly our kids. I mean, having been through this, I hope that one of the, uh, you know, the uh, consequences of that is that there's more resilience in our children um, to understand that, you know, every day we have to live with anxiety and problems in our world, and, and that's just stuff that's there, and we, we have to sort of cope with it. Yeah, and you still go live your life, you know? You, yeah. you, you still have to live your life, which is what people have been saying the whole time, but I feel like it's finally feeling real now. Right, which is pretty cool. And speaking of that life, John, not Jonathan. This is the uh, life we're going to... Yeah, we're going to talk about depending life on you know now that I've turned thirty seven, I'm acutely aware of how many weekends I've lived and how many more if I live <laughs> a full lifespan I'm estimated to have remaining. So I wanted to revisit the book a little bit today, and I'm going to challenge myself today. You should challenge to yourself less, to be less prejudgy about it, and to just sort of allow it to flow into my ears and my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and to not assume that I know more than this author does and uh, to hold my reservations. I was listening back to the last episode and I definitely, I, I was kind of ready to argue with it and I kind of want to just learn more today. Well, so, and I so think there's an element, like I said in the show, where I think that's good, right? Like that, I'm I'm sort of saying all this as a representative of the author in a sense, right? I'm not necessarily arguing it myself. Well, because I want to share it so that, you know, so that we can have a discussion. It doesn't mean that I like fully endorse all of this or I'm there because I'm certainly not. Um, but I think there's a lot of merit to it. And I think, you know, in a, in a, 
I think the way to approach much of this is not the sort of self-help, you know, put these things into your life and you'll live a better life kind of thing. It's more the philosophical part of it, right? To actually think in a meaningful way about some of this. Right. Um, I think that's what's going on. So, so to sort of jump it, you know, back in from where we left off and, and for those who didn't listen, um, you should just go back and listen to that episode. Probably also be ashamed um, of yourself. Let's be clear. And be, ashamed be ashamed of yourself. Of yourself. But we're talking about a book called 4,000 weeks time management for mortals by Oliver something. And, uh, <laughs> Oliver, what's his last name? Oliver Berkman. Um, thank you, Oliver, for writing this. And we talked last time about maybe some of the sort of context, right? The world that we're living in now, the way that we often have approached time as something to master our control over, right? And some of the sort of what he, Oliver has positioned here is the idea that actually time is to be experienced and, and lived, not sort of dominated by humans, right? If I were to sort of um, summarize. And the other piece of it is that so much of what we do in life is to distract us from the fact that we are mortals who will face, uh, you know, the end. (laughs) Uh, And it's relatively quick, 4,000 weeks, right-ish. So if that's the sort of backdrop, I wanted to, in this episode, maybe jump into a little bit more of... um, you know, how this plays out and maybe w- some things we could consider incorporating into our lives to avoid some of the traps that we got into in the last episode. Um, so to start, you know, I think there's this tension between planning and experiencing life and and the degree to which you feel like you have to plan it all out as a way of maybe alleviating some anxiety that we all have, right? Like the idea of making plans and planning life isn't a bad thing in and of itself, Um, but you know, he makes this statement that it turns out to be perilously easy to overinvest in this instrumental relationship to time to focus exclusively on where you're headed at the expense of focusing on where you are with the result that you find yourself living mentally in the future, locating the real value of your life at some time that you haven't yet reached and never will. I think that quote summarizes it nicely. I certainly related to it in that it feels like I'm often to quote uh, Jim Carrey in, in an interview I heard recently who, you know, say what you will about the man because I know he's had some crazy stuff or said some sort of crazy ideas, but he has seemed to uh, reach some other level in terms of his thinking about life. And and I love this concept. I can't remember if I shared it with you before, but, you know, he talked about how we spend so much of our lives time traveling that we're either in the past with regret or in the future um, with anxiety about or worry, right? And, and that this reminded me of that idea that with time we're, we're, we're constantly kind of looking ahead to the, what will be rather than the now. Um, and I think that's a real tension and checking that is important. This is funny that this is in a book that's called 4,000 weeks and it's about trying to, you know, abolish time as something that you're measuring out, right? Which I'm sure it's very intentional. That that's there's a reason he's doing that. But it's it's just, you know, wrestling with that notion of the hourglass, you know, and the sand going out of the hourglass and like what if I don't do everything I want to do as that sand is going through. I feel like exactly. for me, lately I've noticed during the pandemic that my darkest points were the points where I was two in the moment, but not mm. two in the moment for the right reasons. Almost like I had lost that future looking horizon a little bit, or I'd mm. lost the sense of ambition or a sense of growth. And I've lo- I'd lost sort of things to hold on to. And yeah. I was just really wrapped up in the immediacy of 
just trying to like stay safe and trying to keep, you know, locked inside and shit. So it's interesting. I, f- I feel like this book would have hit me differently a couple of years ago. Um, that being said, I 100% agree that living in the moment is is like the only really liberating thing we can do. And I think it's some somewhat when you can live in the moment on according to your own terms, instead of according to the terms imposed upon you by mm. external circumstances, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very different because it's liberating because you're not encumbered by what came before you and what's to come. Yeah. And to unpack that example a little bit, because I think so much of us have been there, obviously, um, and sort of, in a sense, wallowing in anxiety, what do you think, what was that anxiety about? I mean, I know it's fairly obvious, but I want to hear you say, like, to, to describe what that was, like, what was the source of that anxiety, if you could describe it? Do you know what I mean? So for me, the problems really started when I lost what the source of the anxiety was, because I had gotten so used to being uh, worried, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. that's where it became more like of a depression scenario where I just felt like, what what are we even doing anymore? But right. the anxieties that led me to that point, and I'm really talking about like last year when things were significantly different, oh, yeah. were largely about, you know, my parents being safe during COVID and not hurting them. It was about making sure that we had financial stability, especially before Micah got her job, right? But these are all forward-looking things. This is like, you know, making sure well, the kids are going to be okay. Well, that's what I wanted to get okay. to, right? Yeah. Right, right, Th- right. That's, so that's, Because yeah. that's, the, that's the interesting thing. It's like, Sometimes it's hard to even tell or even understand, like, what does it really mean to be in the now or, you know, in the moment or or, um, just focus on the present? And he gets into that somewhat in this book, too, that, like, actually can be counterproductive to just sort of constantly be like, no, I need to stop thinking about the future and I need to focus on this moment because this is what it's about, right? Because that, too, is sort of instrumentalizing the moment to say this moment is something that I need to sort of control how I experience. Um, And this is the part that's like a mental it's hard for me to even grasp the concept here, but I think the idea is that it's all unfolding and all we have to do is be, <laughs> you know, he even at one point uh, makes the case that w- one of the things we have to do is actually get real comfortable with one of the most uncomfortable things. And that is doing nothing. Like, I mean, nothing like spending 10 minutes, an hour, whatever, not even meditating, nothing at all which would be one of the most uncomfortable things that we could do because, you know, in our society, I mean, we are just so, so set in this idea of being productive, right? I mean, it's just ingrained in us. It's capitalism. It's time is money. Literally, that's an expression in our society. We get paid by the hour. But this is not, this is not um, at the core of humanity or, or like the way things have to be necessarily, right? I mean, this is a fairly recent invention, the idea that we um, we get paid based on time and time is this instrumental sort of force rather than it unfolding and for us to be in it. So I think that's the like philosophical shift that I totally realize we can't just wake up tomorrow and live it in a different way because we're, we're steeped in the society that we're in. I think it's an interesting thought experiment to maybe see how we could break out of that in certain ways, I guess. Oh, yeah. I think that this notion of doing nothing and being okay with it, it's important to remember that this means no phones. It means no distractions of any, it means just actually doing nothing. That's right. The first time I did nothing as an adult is like a moment that I remember. It was right before Henry was born and I was singing in a church choir and I got there kind of early and we had to have our devices off and uh, I was waiting in the sanctuary for things to start. It was just four of us because it was a quartet singing. And, uh, and so I couldn't have my phone out and I had like 15 minutes to sit there and wait. And I wasn't really meditating at that point in my life yet. So I was sort of 
like, what do I, what do I do? And that 15 minutes felt hugely important to me because I hadn't put myself in that position before. And, you know, you hear stories, like I was listening to, there's a great podcast, which, uh, you know, you can always sponsor our show if you'd like to. It's called This Is Actually <laughs> Happening. Uh, it's put out by Wondery. And uh, it's these first person narratives of experiences, you know, people have in their lives. And this one oh, woman, wow. she'd gotten lost in the jungle in Maui. So it was the story of her getting lost. And, you know, it's just her talking about it. But before she got there, she had gone to Maui to do the spiritual awakening thing because she had not done something for five minutes one night. She was like, I don't need to be drinking right now. I don't need to be talking to anybody. I'm just going to sit in the room for five minutes. And she sat there. She said that was like an awakening for her because she realized she hadn't allowed herself to do that. Yeah. Uh, This idea of, again, unencumbering ourselves from time as like an instrument or as something to be divided up and utilized is, is really, I think, an important concept that we could probably learn a lot from, from doing more of. I think so. I do. I mean, it's so hard, you know, I mean, the idea, it it honestly, it sort of terrifies me. The idea of just sitting and doing nothing at all. I'm just so, I talked in the last one about so much of my life has been about how to master time, how to actually get all the things that I want to get done, done, you know, having intentionality and all of this, but like how much of that is really me trying to escape the fact that I, I can't do it all and I won't ever, and that this is life, (laughs) you know, this is the state of life. You won't have time to do all the things you want to do. And by leaving your options open and sort of, you know, not necessarily committing to a certain path, um, that's really just us trying to escape our, our mortality, the fact that we can't. It's, it's a distraction, is at least what he's saying here. And the other part I wanted to get into is how this plays out in parenting, because he does get into that, and he's, um, I don't know if, I think he became a dad in the course of writing this, or at least had recently become a dad. So that was an interesting lens through which to hear this too, of course. Um, and he talked about, you know, scanning... Uh, many different sort of parenting books and understanding them to be in kind of two camps, right? You know, there's one camp where it's all about like training your kids to be a certain way. You know, you think of like the, um, the sleep training as an example of this. Um, and there are many, 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 many methods, uh, that are very structured around, um, how to sort of train our kids. And the other camp might be, um, natural parents, right? Like the idea of going back to basics and just sort of, you, you could say free range, or you could say what we talked about, the, um, parenting book where we sort of look to ancient civilizations and learn from them. Um, but it's, he makes the point that it's all kind of focused on one thing, which is the future child, right? That we're raising, right? So much of our conversations have been about the child, the person that we are trying to raise. And it makes sense because our job as parents in some ways to sort of help cultivate that. Um, so I hadn't really ever thought of it in a different way, but um, he talks about, I'm just going to quote this, this Russian philosopher that he he quotes that just drove this point in in such a meaningful way to me um so his name is alexander herzen and he's someone who he lost his son he lost one of his children his son in a shipwreck um and he was quoted as saying this because children grow up we think a child's purpose is to grow up but a child's purpose is to be a child nature doesn't disdain what only lives for a day it pours the whole of itself into each moment. Life's bounty in it is in its flow. Later is too late. That's really good. <laughs> I mean, I was like in tears. That's real I mean, good. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, that- Can you say it again? Can we that hear hit it me hard. Yes, absolutely. 
Because children grow up, we think a child's purpose is to grow up. But a child's purpose is to be a child. Nature doesn't disdain what only lives for a day. It pours the whole of itself into each moment. Life's bounty is in its flow. Later is too late. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> I mean, can it, you can you say it one more time, but with a Russian accent? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is really that's really because powerful. Children grow. Uh, <laughs> because no, the was, children. Yeah. No, that was I feel better. like the fir- the first part of that is almost become like a platitude at this point, right? Like the, this idea of like it's a kid's job to be a kid. That's that's fine. But the rest that's of that, like Mr. Rogers, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is which is you know it's been revolutionary at different points in history, but it's yes. it's something that I've heard. But this idea of nature pouring itself in its totality into things that are evanescently existent. Because I, I, I think about that a lot, you know, with um, even with insects and things that are only here for this fleeting glimpse, like that is just an incredible, the fact that they were here in the first place is incredible and their lived experiences mm. is, is, it's still enormous. And so for a child, like we aren't, better or more in tune with nature or something because we've been here practicing for longer like children are they contain everything within themselves already and i find you know we had a a bit of an incident with jude at school recently and, and that for me was the first real kind of parenting moment that I felt totally unequipped for like i, I just mm. you know because it was about him not doing his work which was very alien to me because it's just not who he has, you know, been historically. And I didn't know how to handle it. And I felt my, I felt this huge upwelling of anger before, which luckily I reined in before we talked about it. But I felt like, uh, I'm really like, I'm so worried about this becoming the beginning of all of these things that will get out in front of me in his life that I won't be able to as his parent protect him from. Yeah. Yeah. When in reality, obviously, like we have so little control over that, that it's not worth even worrying about. But more important than that, I'm addressing his future self and not the self that is here in the moment. And for me, you know, Mike and I really worked on this quite a lot over the last couple of weeks. And we decided that you know, being punitive wasn't really going to get us anywhere because because it's not like he wasn't doing his work to be an asshole or something he just you know was probably sending us signals so which is good that we talked to him yeah but also uh you know we weren't addressing the fact that like he he was here in that moment with us and he was also confused about why we were upset and not realizing that it was a big deal as a third grader to be doing your work and like all these you know there's so much more to somebody than just the the somebody they will become down the road well that's it you know yeah and and here's the thing Let's remind ourselves that, right? I mean, you and I, we're ambitious people. We have plans. We have aspirations. There's so much that we are doing that um, maybe has the aim to sort of help us become or, you know, whatever, have some intended outcome. Of course, we all should, right? We should strive. But do we really value ourselves in this moment as finished human beings that are worthy of, you know, enjoying life? I mean, that because this this one hit me hard because you know both in the context of parenting and myself um one of the things i value most is growth it's it's the idea that we are always growing and i think it's beautiful and you know take guitar as an example of this i just love starting at something at such a sucky level you know and building up skills and getting better and just experiencing all of that but taken too far it can dominate the way that we think you know <laughs> You're laughing. Well, <laughs> take it too far. I see Bethany in the background selling guitars out of the back of the car. You know. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't even. I mean, I haven't even given you updates about you know the last purchases I've made. But but 
the thing is, you know, the line there for me is, am I, is this a genuine, am I enjoying the learning of it and the, the whole experience in the moment? I very much am, right? It's not like I'm saying this is only going to matter when I get to this point or it's all in order to become a certain thing. And actually he very much advocates um, one of the things, you know, in terms of like, okay, what do we do, you know, after reading this book? One of them is hobbies, like the idea of pouring yourself into something that's purely for the sake of enjoying that thing. It's not because you're going to get paid to do it or, you know, it ultimately has to lead to a certain end. Um, which do you remember everything. my point about this? I, I must have brought this up at some point, but there's a reason why amateur is called amateur versus professional. It comes from amas or amare, which means to love, right? It's something oh, done love for love oh, as opposed wow, yeah. to professional, which is done for your career, right? Oh, I love that. So it's important to be an amateur at things. It's not like a, it's not a pejorative term or demeaning. Yes. It's actually a really empowering thing, right? Right. And so I think... I think we forget that as adults, you know, I mean, you think about kids, it's just natural, right? They, they just have fun doing things and they pour themselves into it. And it's not because it has to like lead to them becoming, you know, a fucking pro soccer player or whatever. I know that in many cases we've sort of structured it in that way, unfortunately, but like there's something to learn there and valuing um, children in that state, I think it's, it's a lesson for us too. And I think it's that kind of behavior that we can model, but because really if if we want our kids to sort of understand the value of being in the present, then then I think this is one practical way we can do it, which is like being present with them and not having everything be about, you know, striving or cultivating them into a certain state that will be perf perfect or they're sort of um, reach their fullest potential. Right. I mean, how much of a setup is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, it is it's still it's like. It's hard, but I think that there's so much to be gained in in shedding some of that um, and just being okay with who you are right now and and sort of you know same with your kids. But also because what you're saying that is that is is I think uh, illustrative of what we're talking about, which is if we're talking about focusing on becoming professional or focusing on becoming the best at something, we are by you know nature by what we're actually saying there taking the focus away from who we are in the moment right from like this this beautiful adaptable learning thing that we are before we are great at doing something That's and right. that there's a huge amount of value in that the totality of nature is present in an amateur who's just starting something because you're learning and your brain is plastic and you're excited and you're passionate and uh and those things are like valuable regardless of whether or not you're the best in your field at it or you ever want to be that and that's something that as an adult I've also grappled with quite a bit because I'm so used to you know succeeding at things to to being good at doing something and this idea of of being uh, being comfortable with not being great at something I think is a great thing to teach our kids because they won't be wrestling with it as they get older you know absolutely absolutely so i mean even in this moment i'm experiencing this right because there's so much in this book even that I want to share and I have so many notes and I'm like, how do I get it all in? Right. It, it's just because this is the way we think. It's like, how do I extract the most out of time? <laughs> um, so I'll, it, the, at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter. Right. It's like wherever we go and whatever we share, like that's, that's what we're supposed to share. And, and I think it will be helpful. I hope it's helpful for those listening as well, but if not, fuck you, it'll just be, just be helpful for us. Just be ashamed um, of yourself. <laughs> So let's see. I think this will be a good quote to sort of summarize this point that we're, we're on. And maybe we can move on a little bit here in terms of the more day to day. You know, here's some things we could consider incorporating into our lives. Um, he says, we choose to treat time in this self-defeatingly instrumental way. And we do so because it helps us maintain the feeling of being in uh, omnipotent, omnipotent. <laughs> 
control of our lives. As long as you believe that the real meaning of life lies somewhere off in the future, that one day all your efforts will pay off in a golden era of happiness, free of all your problems, you get to avoid facing the unpalatable reality that your life isn't leading towards some moment of truth that hasn't yet arrived. Our obsession with extracting the greatest future value out of our time blinds us to the reality that, in fact, the moment of truth is always now. That life is nothing but a succession of present moments culminating in death. And that you'll probably never get to a point where you feel you have things in perfect working order. And that, therefore, you had better stop postponing the real meaning of your existence into the future and throw yourself into life now. Maybe I'm maybe I'm beating a dead horse, to use a terrible expression, but um, I think that kind of summarizes this point, right, of like the idea of not instrumentalizing our time. I mean, man, it is only 4,000 weeks or whatever. So to instrumentalize it means that we're always putting it off till an ultimate death where maybe then we look back and say, did I, you know, did I reach that point I wanted to? Right. And then you get to enjoy it for that one second before you're dead. And you're <laughs> like, oh, I guess I don't. Oh, that was it. There, that is, uh, that's very powerful also. And uh, there's a point that I had in there that I didn't want to forget to talk about. I'm talking about, oh, envisioning yourself in a future state, right? So yeah, so yeah. I have done some soul searching with career stuff lately, you know, as I think many of us have, especially post-COVID. And I'm realizing that all of the career changes or futures that I consider myself in, I'm seeing myself only as that thing, right? Yeah. Like I'm seeing myself only in that job or doing that particular thing. But I'm forgetting that while I'm also doing that job or doing that thing, I'm probably still going to be wondering, okay, what am I doing next? Or like, what's my next? Like, we see ourselves as yeah. almost like a series of endpoints that we envision, like you're saying, as an arrival, right? Like, okay, yeah. I figure, I figured my shit out. Now I'm like, and then, but what we forget is that when we figure our shit out, we just instinctively immediately start trying to figure out what the next shit will be. So we're That's always right. in the process of figuring that shit out. And uh, yeah, there's this fine balance between how liberating it can be to stop focusing on that. And also how stultifying it can be to not have forward momentum towards a goal or an endpoint. So I think, yeah, there's yeah. a sweet spot, right? I agree with that. I mean, one of the things that he advocates for is is really um, putting into perspective the fact that, you know, there's the 4,000 weeks, but then think about all of human civilization. He characterizes it as, you know, if you were to take uh, a person who lived to be 100, which certainly, you know, while obviously the, the um, average lifespan was much shorter many you know thousands of years ago or whatever you know surely at least one person lived to that long ish <laughs> if you were to take every every hundred year old person and sort of line them up it would be it would be 60 people long 60 fucking people that's it um it's we're a blip right in in this whole sort of you know in, our, in the history Wait, can, you, of can you explain and, that again if you were to take all yeah. of the 100 year old people and line them up they would be 60 <laughs> people long. what so if you took one hundred person per, and then they died, and then the next one was born and lived to be a hundred, and then the next that person died. And oh, the you're next talking one, about in terms of like if you added up their lifespans together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was picturing I, I was like to... you know you know how like those do visuals of how many times to the moon <laughs> and back you can stack certain things. I'm yeah, picturing yeah, yeah, yeah. all these old people like standing at each other. Okay. Yeah. You, so in terms of consecutive lifespans being added together, you would get Thank six, you, yes. a consecutive sixty lifespans. Sixty. A 60 people long you get 60 to, people's life to encompass all of human civilization yeah because we've only been here for according to that six thousand well, years and, and then that's like human civilization right it's not the homo sapiens um 
but so I don't know exactly so when he's making past that hunter gatherer like Bronze Age. I guess okay, yeah, I get it. I'm okay. not sure exactly where the cutoff is, but I mean the point there is just that you know many, hum- humanity people, as we you know? know it is is just a blip. And like we could say great 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 for like another thirty seconds and get enough greats to be able to say and that would be yeah. it, right? So right. the reality here is that um, the universe couldn't care less about what it is that we're doing with our finite time in that puzzle i mean it's so small right and that's like obviously that can feel defeating right like what the hell's the point the flip side of it is, is it can be liberating it's like we put so much pressure on ourselves to do so much and to get so much done when in reality i mean all that is done in humanity is this sort of beautiful tapestry of people working together to do certain things and we are just one little piece of that so certainly um paying attention and putting our energy towards those things that we think will help, you know, make someone's life better or a group of people. Um, those are worthy pursuits. Let's be honest about what our role in all of that is. It's tiny. Right. And I think it's somewhat, I, I think part of why we get caught in this trap is because we look at history as like through the lens of exceptionalism, because those are the stories mm. that survive. So we have all these heroes to look up to, but we forget that those heroes existed in fields that had, you know, tens upon tens of thousands of other people working in those fields that we just don't talk about. So we always think of ourselves because we're sort of the center of our own story as one of these exceptionalists. And, and that if, if we aren't, if we aren't living up to that, that we've somehow failed without realizing that like those were exceptional not only exceptional, but they were exceptions to the rule, which is most of us will live and work our lives in historical and anonymity, right? Right. Omnipotent. Absolutely. Omnipotent. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, that's, that's something that, again, can be terrifying, but it also can be liberating. And you can look at your life as something that is at once small and yet cosmically large because you're in the continuum of this amazing story of people, but you also aren't responsible for it. Like, you're, you're, it's okay if you're just here in your own little corner doing what you can, but not being driven by the need to be exceptional, you know? Right. And and spending, a, you know, some of your life doing things that you genuinely enjoy that don't have some grand purpose behind them. That's OK. You know, yeah, it's I mean, not, and not I a waste of time. Exactly. It's not a waste of time. And navigating what those things are that bring real meaning. That's the hard part, I would say. Right. I'm just adding this commentary. I don't, I don't think you got into this too much. But like, how do I navigate between um, what is a worthy pursuit and what is a distraction? Right. Like is spending all my time, you know. Uh, on Facebook, uh, you know, sharing messages and getting hooked on like the social media. I'm obviously using pejorative terms here, um, leading this on. But like, you know, is that how what I want to do to spend my time, even though in the moment it's like addictive and I'm getting that rush? Um, or are there more meaningful pursuits where maybe there's even conflict there, right? Like fucking learning guitar at the beginning, man, you know, you get the calluses, you're, you suck at it. It's like um, people have to listen to you. You know, I'm using that as an example. So much of our pursuits... They are like, they're not always fun, but that isn't equal to meaningful or valuable. And, you know, one, a few of the principles, I do want to share like some practical um, thoughts here to consider, you know, as we, as we wrap here as well. Uh, there are three principles in this section of the book that he refers to. Um, and I'm just sort of summarizing these, but, you know, one is like kind of leaning into problems. Um, He says, once you give up on the unattainable goal of eradicating all your problems, it becomes possible to develop an appreciation for the fact that life is just a a process of engaging with problem after problem, giving each one the time it requires, 
that the presence of problems in your life, in other words, isn't an impediment to a meaningful existence, but the very substance of one. You know, so there again, it's like this perspective shift where um, if if we're not, if our role isn't to sort of dominate time and sort of clear all the problems so that we have this amazing life at the end of it with retirement or whatever else we think, then life is actually just problems. It's, it's things that we have to sort of solve or do. I mean, that's just like the makeup of life, right? So, um, so that's one principle. The other was to embrace radical incrementalism. So this is the idea that like, giving up on the idea that we can do it all and focus on what is the next best thing for me to do, right? I mean, that's it. It's like this incremental approach um, to living our lives. And then the third one is um, this idea that we consider, um, how does he frame it? More often than not, originality lies on the far side of unoriginality. So he talks about like, he uses this example of, um, you know, someone going to school to become a certain thing, right? I think he uses an artist as an example. And imagine that um, their sort of trajectory is represented as a, as a sort of a bus ride, right? They're at a train stop and they start their ride on a particular bus and all the buses go basically to the same place. They stop at the same points. So someone is, you know, on their career path. They're taking that bus. They get a couple bus stops in and they're super excited about a particular, um, you know, style or whatever. And that's where they sort of pour their energy and think that that's where they're going to make their their career. And suddenly they realize that there are, you know, 20 other people doing the exact same thing as them. And they sort of lose um, all excitement about that particular path. So they get off the bus and they go back to the bus stop and they start from the beginning again. But the thing is that that's setting you right back to the beginning in a way that ultimately you're going to be taking the same bus to have to hit the same bus stops. Even if you sort of change your... Um, particular focus, you've got to kind of put in the work to get to a certain point in life where you can then have an original take on that thing. And I'm sure the way I've just described this is like the most confusing possible <laughs> way to do it. I tried t- telling this to Bethany and she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I was like, I was with you for the bus route. <laughs> and then you're like, you can't go back to the beginning. So fo- so you're saying, so you're saying you're at a bus stop, you look around you, there's 20 other people who are getting on the same bus, who are doing the same thing you're doing, you feel uninspired or unexceptional because of that, right? And so you yeah. decide, okay, maybe there's something else I should be doing. And then what do you, what do, you do after that? I mean, let me just give you the You point. walk around the bus stop the for a couple minutes? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> what, yeah, yeah. what do we do? The point is, in many, much of our life pursuit, um, we, we are impatient and want to be at a certain place before we actually can be. And so he uses art as an example, someone who's an artist, um, you have to put in the work to get to a certain level where maybe you're copying what other people do, right? You're, you're, we all go through this time period in our lives in college or wherever, where we think everything we do has to be original. But sometimes what you do, you have to sort of go through the motions. This is like very easy to uh, articulate in the, in the context of music or sport, right? You, you go through the motions, you learn the principles, you do the thing over and over and over and over again. And suddenly you're at a point where you can create something original and I know that there are people who are like fucking, you know, crazy genius that sort of skip over some of those steps always. But, you know, f- by and large, um, it takes patience. And and I think the point he was trying to make in this one, which I've obviously clearly, you know, not done a good job of capturing or articulating, um, is that that patience pays off and that, you know, meaning in life comes from the struggle of kind of working through stuff and maybe mm. following the path of others 
um, to achieve, you know, what ultimately might be something that's original or um, so, meaningful. So it's okay if there's other people at the bus stop. Don't doesn't mean you have to go back to the beginning of the whole bus line. It means that like you're okay. You'll find when the next stop that is original gets there, and it might not be this one yet, but that's okay because you are on a journey. I'm get I'm getting it. So I if mean, you look around and there's other people, yeah. that's that's part of the journey that you're on, and yeah. you don't have to differentiate yourself willfully. You can keep going on the journey, and then when the right thing arises, you'll know to take a different route. I think yes. I think ultimately he really advocates for sort of depth, right? Like in whatever it is in life that you find or you want to sort of position yourself at, really being patient and you know um, immersing yourself in it to the point where you can you can really I think find deep meaning from that thing, whatever that is, hobby mm. work or whatever. I mean that's yeah, that's what my takeaway. But uh, I should probably just go fucking read the whole book again and better understand. I feel like I one. should go watch buses for a while because my <laughs> head is only bus analogies right now. No, I like oh, it. Man. I think this is a good book. I, th- I think it speaks to the moment really well. And, you know, there's other things, obviously, to, to that we could go back and unpack, but I know we're kind of at time. I think uh, this this notion that suffering is universal is a really important thing that obviously is very firmly tied up with Buddhism. But it speaks to, in a, I mean, in a kind of less severe way, this thing that he's getting at, which is that th- there will always be a problem that we're working through. There will always be an impasse. There will always be too many people on the bus. There will always be something that isn't quite clicking right in your life and that the process of clicking the right the the process of fixing it is the process of living so you might as well enjoy that process because you're never actually going to get out of it it's just the state that we live in and that yeah is liberating yeah i think so and it may be even not even enjoying but just um just being with it you know sticking yeah, with it right um because you know it's not all about joy either it's not it's in a sense that can instrumentalize each moment that we're in and, and really all we can do is sort of be in that moment. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot there and this is another one where, you know, life quickly sort of puts you back on the treadmill or the hamster wheel the, or whatever. The, the bus. We're, we're, the bus. We can keep Clearly the buses the for bus, this place. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Uh, forever. And, uh, yeah. So hopefully maybe this, this will, uh, let you get off the bus for a minute and consider whether you're on the right bus. Yeah, or at least look at the map and make sure you didn't get on the southbound (laughs) bus when you should have been on the northbound one. And yeah, take stock of what bus you're riding, you know? And then stick stick with it. And stick with it, yeah, but pay the fare. You you should pay the fare. Pay the fare. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. This was fun. I'm going to read that Uh, book. I like it. You should read it. Just go fucking read the book instead of listening to the show. Yeah. All right. I hope everybody's doing okay out there. Good luck with the uh, as the weather's warming up and we're getting more sunlight. Enjoy it and see you soon. Take care. Bye.